Hello and thanks for joining us here on Search for Truth. It's great to have your company. Today Brian continues our series called The Mindfulness Jesus Endorses with the second talk and some biblical examples of the mindfulness that Jesus endorses. And last week I said that Christian mindfulness can help us to appreciate being in the presence of God and lead us to a closer relationship with our Lord Jesus. So with Brian's help we'll begin to learn how that can happen and we'll go to Brian now for the study which is about having a sense of God's presence, power and purposes. Thanks John. We've been thinking about mindfulness as it's popularly understood in terms of becoming more intensely aware of ourselves and our surroundings and what's happening. The kind of awareness that helped Nico Rosberg, by his own admission, to become Formula One world champion in 2016. Approaching corners at 200 miles an hour is no place for a daydreamer, preoccupied with anything other than negotiating the rapidly approaching bend. But returning to the more serious demands of life, we want to explore if there's any sense in which being more aware of the true state of reality at each moment is something that the Bible would endorse. And we're building up to what the Lord Jesus has to say on this. With that goal in mind, let's set about trying to identify what could reasonably be called mindfulness in great Bible lives. We'll first visit the camp of Israel with the young shepherd boy David, on the day that he became famous in Israel, it was a time of war, you may remember. First Samuel chapter 17 tells us, Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Socho, which belongs to Judah, and they camped between Socho and Azekah in Ephes-Damim. Saul and the men of Israel had gathered and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle array to encounter the Philistines. The Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side, while Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, with the valley between them. Then a champion came out from the armies of the Philistines, named Goliath, from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was clothed with scale armour, which weighed five thousand shekels of bronze. He also had bronze greaves on his legs, and a bronze javelin slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and the head of his spear weighed six hundred shekels of iron. His shield-carrier also walked before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel and said to them, Why do you come out to draw up in battle array? Am I not a Philistine? And you servants of Saul, choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. So here's an encampment with two armies facing off against each other. From the perspective of the people known in the Old Testament as the people of God, that's Israel, they watch as out of the enemy camp facing them there strides a nine-foot giant of a man. He describes Israel as the servants of Saul and defies them to produce a worthy opponent for him to face in single mortal combat. This was his proposal for how the outcome of the war might be decided. It's easy to sense the reaction of those cowering before the giant. All the men of Israel saw the man coming up to defy Israel. And it says, when all the men of Israel saw the man, they fled from him and were greatly afraid. Naturally, their attention was fixed on this challenger who was defying Israel and taunting them as the servants of Saul. They were truly, it seems, no more mindful of who they were than to acknowledge that they were the servants of Saul 
and facing a formidable challenge. The teenager, David, had come among the Israelite army to visit his older brothers. They were serving soldiers. And when David arrived, he saw what they saw. But he saw more, much more. And what he was aware of in addition would determine the outcome of that day. Listen to what we can read. Then David spoke, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? I don't detect fear or even dismay in that question, do you? To the young David, this wasn't a huge intimidating challenger to be afraid of. He was a mere uncircumcised Philistine enemy soldier. What's more, it was the giant who was in the most mortal danger, for he'd not taunted the servants of Saul, but in reality he'd taunted the armies of the living God. Even a nine-foot, fully-armed warrior has no chance against the omnipotent Creator. David was completely aware of all this. A sense of the living God permeated his entire existence, and that changed everything, for he remembered well how God had helped him defend his father's flock, the flock of sheep, from the threat of a lion and then from the threat of a bear. David became champion in the Vale of Elah that day because of his awareness of God as a present reality in any danger he faced. He was not alone. For David, it was always going to be a one-sided contest, but not in the way the rest of the army viewed it. We face giants of different sorts, huge obstacles and challenges at times confront us. They dismay us. But are we aware that we're not alone? It's good to explore the lesson David's example teaches us in our lives. But let's come now to the New Testament and the greatest example of all. It's quite likely, we believe, that the room in which the Lord Jesus gave his final instructions to his disciples before he went out to die on the cross was a room with a view. It's certainly possible, if not probable, that it gave a view out over Jerusalem and its surrounding valleys. But what was the outlook of the man who was gathering his followers for that Last Supper? For him, the cross was now sharply in view. But there was a still greater awareness, as we soon discover, as we read from the beginning of John chapter 13. Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, the devil, having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from supper and laid aside his garments and taking a towel, he girded himself and began to wash the disciples' feet. This was certainly premeditated action. Knowing his hour had come, he rose from supper and bent himself down to wash the dusty feet of his twelve proud disciples, none of whom had been prepared to perform such a menial task for the others in the group. They were vying with each other for greatness, so the Lord himself had to take the lowest place to teach them a lesson in humility which they never forgot. What presence of mind, just hours before his shameful death, Christians to this day are moved 
to consider the Lord dramatising in that way the greater condescension that was in progress by which he, as the Lord of glory, had laid aside that glory and stepped down all the way down to earth, down, in fact, to the depthless abasement of the cross, knowing the Father had given all things into his hands. What an acute awareness of the significance of the moment in terms of his destiny. What about us? What should we as Christians be constantly mindful of at every moment? Romans chapter 6 and Colossians chapter 3 would be excellent Bible chapters to hide in our heart and hold in our minds. They could only help foster in us an awareness that our Christian life's true perspective is lived out from an awareness of our union with Christ. Those chapters are full of it and the practical consequences that flow from it. We'll come to explore them later. But for now, our closing reflection is on Romans chapter 8 with its five unanswerable questions. Here they are. If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? It's got to be healthy for us to keep these unanswerable questions in our mind at every moment of our lives. Treasure
thank you for your talk today, Brian. And there's a transcript book of all the talks in this series. It's available free on request by asking for the title The Mindfulness Jesus Endorses. And you can order the book by email or by post. And uh, here's our address. Search for Truth, Hayes Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wootton Bassett, Swindon, SN48DY. I'll repeat the postcode, SN48DY, United Kingdom. Our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. And one of the ways you can listen again to many past programmes is by audio, podcast or MP3 versions. And if you go onto your computer to www.searchfortruth.podbean.com, you can browse the lists of previous talks which have been categorised and the titles are there to help you find what you're looking for. So... We've been delighted to have your company, so please join us again next week if you can when Brian will bring us another talk in this series and it's called Being Mindful of the Things of God. So till then, it's very best wishes from our Bible teacher Brian, our studio technician David, our singers and me, John. So cheerio and may God richly bless you. Stay.